You're listening to Under the Shell Podcast, the best in America. Welcome to Under the Shell, presented by Testudo Times. I'm Brennan Weissel. MJ, and back in business. Michael House. And this week, we went as far under the shell as we've gone before, as we brought on the Senior Director of Football Equipment Operations, Drew Hampton, talking about what goes on behind the scenes to get the jerseys ready, all the equipment to away games. Great interview. Take it away. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, you mentioned briefly about your your family and um, working for the Jets. Do you think you would have been in this position if your family hadn't all kind of been in the business? I don't think so, to be completely honest. I, you know, like I mentioned, my dad working for the Jets for 36 years, it gave me an opportunity to grow up around football and and be a part of his operation um, as much as I possibly could growing up. When most kids spent their summers at the beach or going away to camp, we spent our summers with our dad at training camp. And while we were there, it was never a free ride. It was always an opportunity to lend a hand or do some work. It was um, it was incumbent upon us to pull our weight while we were there working with my dad. But, you know, it it opened some doors for us and, and, and exposed me to equipment and working with athletes. It was something that I loved a great deal. And I, used to, I remember daydreaming in junior high school, wishing I was at work with my dad. And I've had the good fortune of following it in his footsteps and it's something I, I truly love to do. So I mentioned your title at the beginning of the episode. Um, but what what actually does your day-to-day life look like? Is it the same every day or you know, different on game days and stuff? Take us through that. I would say it's it's the same week to week. It's kind of like Groundhog Day, but it's a week to week thing. And a lot of that depends whether you're playing at home or you're playing on the road. Um, for example, today we're uh, I'll, I'll, let's start on we'll start on Mondays. We'll, let's start on Sunday because it's the day after a game. The day after the game traditionally starts with us getting here around 8 a.m. and and doing the laundry and everything else that's been presented to us from the from the previous day's game. Um, you know, going through all the uniforms, checking the game jerseys and the pants for any rips or tears, um, making notes just in case we need to make any modifications or make any, uh, any men's or uh, repairs to the game uniforms. Like I said, doing all the laundry, not only for the players, you know, when you're when you're at home, you're doing laundry for roughly 120 players, but you're also doing laundry for roughly another half, another 190 to 100 staff members, and that that encompasses everybody from uh, coaches to GAs to QCs to football operations personnel to video staff to athletic training staff, and then strength staff, and then equipment staff, and then all the student managers that work in each one of those areas as well. So it's a pretty big undertaking. But I'm blessed that I work with some really good people. You know, I've, I've got two assistants here, uh, Jason Smith, also known as Paco, and then Nat Park, who's been here. He's, he's a graduate from University of Maryland, and he's been with the University of Maryland for over 20 years now. And then with the help of some really, really great young people and our student managers, they they helped this, main, they helped this uh, operation run pretty darn smoothly. So that's a Sunday. Um, Monday, we go back to practice. Monday is... Uh, you know, I'll get here. I'll get here about seven o'clock in the morning. I'll go through some stuff. We'll do some business-related stuff. We'll pay bills and that sort of thing. Ten thirty, I normally have a staff meeting. At that point, Coach Loxley will go through the, the daily schedule, what to expect during practice. Um, about two o'clock, our students will show up. When they get here at two o'clock, they'll go out and set up the practice field with everything that the coaches need to run practice, and that consists of everything from, you know, the tackling dummies to the pop-ups to the hand shields to the footballs. Just about anything you'd imagine from a football training standpoint. 
and then uh, we'll go through practice. Practice, depending on the day, starts in the afternoon after the after all our uh, players get out of class. Uh, some days it starts at four, some days it starts at five, um, and we're usually out there for two hours. Um, I usually stand with coach the entirety of practice just in case he needs anything. Um, and uh, and I watch over the practice field to make sure everything's going as well as possible, make sure it's an efficient and clean run operation. And then at the conclusion of practice, um, we'll come in and we'll do all the laundry for everybody, uh, coaches, players, and staff. But during that time, as we get to Monday, we're already starting to prepare for the following week, you know, depending on whether it's a home game or a road game. So if it's a road game, we determine, okay, who are we going to play? So this week, we know we're playing University of Nebraska. Uh, I reach out to University of Nebraska and their head of equipment manager, Jay Terry, to try to figure out what uniform they're going to wear. Even though more often than not, the home team will wear their, their color uniform, like they're red at home. Sometimes they have a specialty game where they wear a different color, or sometimes they opt to wear their white at home. So I got to find out what they're going to wear to make sure that whatever uniform um, they're wearing, we wear um, the opposites. So they're going to wear red this week, the traditional red uniforms. So we are going to wear, for the first time this year, we're going to wear an all-white uniform with an all-white helmet. It's going to be it's going to be pretty darn awesome. So once we figure that out, we start packing. So we'll, we'll go. Nat Park does a great job for me. Like I said, he's one of my assistants. He does a great job coordinating the jerseys. We go through it together to make sure we can count for every single player that will be on the travel roster, their jerseys, pants, their laundry loops. And um, so then we roll into Tuesday. And Tuesday is pretty much a copycat of Monday. You know, same thing, get up, get here early, make sure we're here for the players when they start to get lift programs early in the morning. Um, and uh, go through another staff meeting, coordinate everything through Coach Loxley, make sure we're buttoned up um, as far as his practice plan for the day. At the, at the uh, In the afternoon, we'll go through another practice and we can start it all over. When it starts to get a little crazy, it's like when we go to um, a day like today, because Nebraska is so far away, we have to drive or it takes almost about two days to uh, not 48 hours, about two days driving time um, to get our trailer from College Park, Maryland to Lincoln, Nebraska. So that'll leave tomorrow at noontime. So during this week, Monday, Tuesday, and then through tomorrow morning, we're packing the truck for Nebraska and we'll send everything. We'll send about 12,000 pounds worth of equipment. And that's just not equipment from um, my department. It's equipment from football operations. It's equipment from sports medicine and it's equipment from uh, our video department. So it's my responsibility that everything gets there safely and in a timely manner. So when the team arrives at the facility on Saturday for the game, everything is set and ready to go. But like I mentioned before, and I can't stress this enough, this is this operation and equipment, it's a collaborative effort. And, you know, I, I may sit in this chair, but none of this happens without the help from everybody else around. So, We'll bump into Wednesday. So tomorrow morning, another another normal morning. We get up, we get here early, make sure we're here for the players. Any players are doing lift, any players are getting treatment. Um, we'll go through another staff meeting. Tomorrow the truck will leave at approximately noon. We got to make sure everything is on it. We have a, a travel checklist, a travel manifest to make sure everything's checked off that goes on the on the truck. And then they'll be off and on, on their way. And then we'll practice tomorrow afternoon. And then we'll practice on Thursday. And um, same thing, Groundhog Day all over again. And then Friday morning is the day of departure. We normally, if it's a, if it's a closer game, like going to Ohio State or going to Michigan or going to Michigan State 
or any of those other schools that are close in proximity. I'll normally leave Thursday night after practice and we'll depart here about 6.30 p.m. and we will head on our merry way to wherever the destination is. Like a couple of weeks ago, we played Northwestern. You get on the bus at 6.30 at night and you're on a 12-hour run on the bus for to get to Illinois to uh, play Northwestern. But it's great because you build camaraderie, camaraderie with uh, you know the people that you work with and the students. And it's a grind, but we all do it because we love it. These kids that make the commitment to help us out, they do it because they love being around athletics, specifically football. And they love being around our players, coaches, and staff because it's, it's uh, working here in Jones Hill House and working for Coach Schlocksley and his staff has uh, been a great experience, not just for me, but everybody that comes here to work. So, so Friday, uh, the team will depart. Um, and they usually depart sometime around two o'clock. They'll arrive in the destination city. When they get there to the destination city, Coach Loxley likes for the team to stop by at the stadium on the way to their hotel. And when they stop by, they just do a site visit. They don't do a walkthrough or anything. It's just a site visit. And they'll walk through to see where the players' lockers are, where the coaches' locker room is, where the athletic training room is, where the restrooms are. And then they'll walk out to the field to determine, you know, which side is our bench area. So when they show up on Saturday for game day, they know all that stuff. It's not like the first time they've been there. Um, typically on Saturday on game day, we usually get there about, excuse me, we usually get there about six or six and a half hours prior to the game. The team usually shows up about two, two and a half hours prior to the game. And we're just there to go through just a series of checklists just to make sure everything is prepared for kickoff. Um, not just for the stuff that we have within the locker room to make sure everybody's uniforms, and cleats and shoulder pads and all are all set, but all the stuff that goes onto the field, I know our, our equipment trunk that's on our field, our our coach con communication system that allows the coaches to communicate with one another from the sideline to the booths and, and vice versa. Um, and then and then just everything else that goes into it. And then after the game, at the conclusion of the game, um, it normally takes us about one hour from the conclusion of the game to the time that the truck is either going is leaving the facility and we're on our way to the airport or getting back on the bus to go home. And that's, it's, it's pretty amazing that we get 12,000 pounds worth of equipment, laundry and all that other stuff packed up in, in, in under an hour to get back on our way to college bar. How are those logistics going to change when, you know, teams like USC, Washington, Oregon come in where you could have, you know, back to back weeks or, you know, two games in three weeks where you're playing out in the Northwest and that's a cross country drive. You know, how do you see that affecting your guys' A, budget, and B, like, what what does it look like um, when you're having you know, to I, go cross-country for a conference? Great point. I think it's every, it's something that we've already had internal discussions uh, about our travel as it relates to going to the West Coast. I know next year in 24, we have a good fortune of going out and playing the Oregon Ducks. I'm excited about going out there. But you, you're right. It does present some challenges. And I, I think right now, I think – you know, Brian Griffin, our chief of staff, Vinny Picard, our director of football operations. You know, I, 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 I sit down with them and they formulated a plan they're going through right now with, um, you know, with Damon Evans and Colleen Storm to, to determine how we're going to attack this. Um, so I don't think from my perspective right now, I, I don't think it's going to be a traditional road trip because it would just take too long for our equipment to travel across country and then back after the game. So it's probably going to be a situation where maybe, hopefully, we go into a bigger aircraft and we just fly the stuff with us. 
But there are some other challenges, like our coach comp system. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's on the sideline. It's just, it looks like a big pit crew box or NASCAR. That's what allows all the coaches to communicate with one another. But that absolutely will not fit on an airplane. So we're in the process right now of talking to Coach Com about getting that uh, pared down into maybe three smaller trunks that will allow us to fly with it so we can have our communication system on game day. But the cost is definitely going to be there, no doubt about it. Um, I think the challenges of, of going to the West is just going to a place that you're unfamiliar with, uh, getting to know you know, the, the facility, the stadium, the locker rooms, um, the logistical aspect. It's just all going to be new to everybody that travels. Um, I think from an equipment perspective, when you go to some place that you're not familiar with, is you got to learn all those things. Uh, is it a synthetic playing surface? Is it a natural playing surface? Is it, if it's grass, you know, what's the grass like? Uh, traditionally, when you go to a place like Northwestern, it's it's a natural surface. It's a great playing surface, to, but the grass is longer, and you go up there, and if it's late in the year, it tends to be slippery. So you got to you got to make accommodations for that. You have to make sure that you have multiple styles of cleats so the players have great footing when they're playing so it's just it's just so many different things that go into it and as an equipment manager you have to account for it because that's that's what the head coach expects and that's what everybody expects when they hire hire you to do the job to account for all those little things that maybe other people don't account for what about like in terms of the job you know i, I was curious um you know job security based because you know, you worked in a couple different spots um, in the NFL. Um, I saw like you were let go from, I believe it was the Jaguars, yeah. but yeah. The, leaving the Jaguars kind of caught me off guard a little bit. It's a surprise. New ownership came in, and anytime new ownership comes into any situation, you just, you just don't know. Um, working for the Jaguars was an amazing. It was an amazing opportunity. Uh, great organization. I had a good opportunity to work for Mr. Weaver. Who, Founded the franchise in uh, Jacksonville, and then Sean Collins, who's who's uh, taken over as owner, and has done an amazing job with that team. But you just more often than not, it used to be back in the day in the NFL where you you know if you got into a job in the NFL and you did your job, you could probably be there for twenty plus years. Um, but things have changed these days. It's not there's not as much um, there's not as much of that going on anymore. There's, uh, it, it, it changes year to year. It changes with head coaches. It changes with ownership. So you just don't have that consistency that you used to have. So, so when I came here in 2015 uh, to be the head equipment manager for University of Maryland, 2016, I'm sorry. And in 2021, um, uh, Coach Loxy pulled me aside and, and uh, I guess Damon Evans spoke to him and, and said that the commanders reached out to see if I would be interested in joining their staff as their equipment manager. And, you know, it wasn't something that I initially had much of an interest in, and but ultimately I took it because it gave me an opportunity to go back to the league. And it wasn't a redemption sort of thing. I just wanted to prove to myself that I can go back to the league and, and, and do the job. Because you know what? To be completely honest, the job that we do here at University of Maryland and the job that 32 NFL equipment managers are doing, it's the same job. We just deal with more people. That's all. It's the exact same job. And you deal with the same vendors. You deal with the same people. Uh, sometimes you play in some of the same stadiums, but but I went to I went to, went to Washington, and, and it was one of those things where it was one of those things that even after I left and I'd been gone for six months or so, I still I, I held University of Maryland in such high regard. There's so many great people here to to work for and work with, you know, Damon and Colleen and and Coach Loxley specifically, who I've I've formed a good friendship with. Um, 
that I missed it. I did. I missed it. My my wife and kids tried to discourage me or dissuade me from going to Washington to the commanders, but I took it. And But then I got a call from Coach Loxley um, um, two years ago uh, in August, just after we played our last pre- – after the commanders played their last preseason game on a Thursday against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. And he asked me if I wanted to come back. And you know what? It just felt right to come home. And so uh, I let the commanders know that I was going to come home to the University of Maryland. And I'm fortunate enough to be here in this chair because of it. So if you could kind of break down, I know you mentioned um, you're right next to Loxley in practice. Is that the same on game day and kind of go through some of, you know, what can go wrong on game day? I think from my perspective, when I'm next to coach, I'm just always there to make sure that the communication system is working well. Um, I, you know, I carry a, I usually carry, I carry a clipboard every single game with in my hand and it's got the call sheet. It's got a bunch of other stuff that's that game related as far as, um, as far as, you know, Coach Loxley's important notes and that sort of thing. Um, and I keep them with me all the time uh, on the clipboard. Um, and I'm just there just in case, you know, I'm there to put out fires just in case anything happens from, like I, like I said, a communication standpoint. Um, coordinate it with our two communications uh, coordinators, Mike Nurse and Johnny Brown have been with us for a long time. They do an amazing job. Knock on wood, we don't have any issues. Um, but just there to do my job because I think as an equipment manager, I think if you do all the things that we talked about, from Monday through Friday and prepare well, you don't have any situations that present themselves on Saturday. Sure, every once in a while there could be an equipment breakdown because you can't account for everything. And sometimes things just happen because they happen. And at that point, you just, you, you, uh, you, you, um, you address the issue, you meet the repair and you get the player back out on the field. And in practice, I'm there because uh, I'm just there, I carry, I carry his play sheet and I also have the good fortune of blowing the horn that, and I blow the horn just to, as the time, you know, we time each practice and each period is a different, a different amount of time, whether it's 10 minutes or five minutes or 12 minutes. And at the conclusion of each period, I just blow the horn to signify that. Uh, so we know that we move on from hypothetically seven on seven to team or something like that. But yeah. What's the biggest like scare or like mess up um either on a game day that you guys have had where it was just like holy shit like what is going on right now you know i don't want to i don't want to jinx myself but there are scares there's anxiety every single every single saturday especially when you're on the road the anxiety even though you know i make communication with the visiting team equipment manager and i figure out what they're going to wear there's two anxieties getting out the pre-game warm-up and you're both wearing your dark uniforms and figuring out that you brought the wrong uniform, which hasn't happened. Uh, it did happen while I was working in the NFL. We played the Atlanta Falcons, and the Atlanta Falcons brought the wrong color uniform. So we switched. And, uh, yeah, our head coach wasn't too happy. He thought they did it on purpose, but, yeah, they didn't do it on purpose. But it was just one of those things. And then forgetting something behind, something important, a player's helmet, a player's jersey, something important like that. Um that's that's anxiety you deal with when you travel. When we're at home, it's a lot easier because everything's right here within our equipment with Jones Hill House. But on the road, you can only account for so many things. I mean, we do pack backup uniforms for everybody. We pack probably a dozen extra helmets, half a dozen extra pair of shoulder pads. As a contingency, God forbid something turns up missing, we can still play the game without a hitch. And and as a good equipment manager, I think I think even when things are stressful and 
there's just a lot going on in the equipment room and you have some anxiety about things and you're going through some adversity as far as getting things done in a timely manner. The way I always look at it is I never try to tip my hand to the head coach. I should never put stress upon Coach Loxley. It's my job to make sure there is no stress upon Coach Loxley. Like it's like we figure out how to get our job done. We get it done in a timely manner. And if there's ever a if there's ever an opportunity where we have that stress and anxiety, we just all come together, we attack the issue, and we get it done. What about I know like a couple of years ago in the Big Ten, you know, there's been examples of the past, but Indiana had their one player's jersey was spelled like in Indonesia. Um, how like is that ever something like how would that happen? Um, take us through like what would that scenario be like? Because to fans, you kind of look and you're like, you know. Jesus, this football program has all this money, you know, <laughs> all this stuff, and they can't even get the name of the school right on the front. Like, what would the process be I, you know, I think like for that? I'm kind of going through that process right now, to be completely honest, because, uh, you know, we have the good fortune of having Under Armour as our apparel and football partner, um, footwear partner. And um, so I'm actually placing the orders now for the 2024 season, and that, that includes all the game uniforms for the 2024 season. So it's my job to make sure that I go through extremely carefully with the roster, making sure that I have the spelling correctly. Um, so when I submit my order and then we get the uniforms delivered next June or July, um, just taking my list, comparing the jerseys that come in to the checklist to make sure there's no spelling errors. I, I think, I just think what happened in Indiana, I think it was one of those one in a million shots. Like you just assume that the spelling is correct. And uh, I know the equipment guy up there really well. He's a great guy. I think it was just one of those things that you just you just assumed it was right, and it just bit them in the butt. But um, they do a great job up there in Indiana, and, and uh, it it's one of those things that you, it gives you anxiety. But um, I think if you do a good job and you go through your system checks, like I said, I work closely with Nat Park, one of my assistants, who does an amazing job. Like that sort of thing with me when when we get our uniforms in to go through and and check to make sure that the number is right, the spelling is right the big 10 logos on the chest, that sort of thing um, that prevents some of that anxiety, but you still go through, you just worry about those things. I think, I think as an EQ guy, I think from the time training camp starts um, on or about August 1st until the time the season concludes, um, you know, after a bowl game, uh, you just deal with that. You just, it's just part of the job, the stress of the job to make sure that you account for everything and for everybody. And like I said earlier, you know, you're accounting for approximately 120 players, but then like another 90 to hundred staff members that you have to make sure that you uh, make accommodations for with everything they need from, on a daily basis from uh, apparel to footwear to uniforms, that sort of thing. So it's a challenge some days. So I got to ask, you know, I'm indebted to if what you're designing the jerseys for next year what can terps fans look forward to maybe for for a new any new exciting drops coming and, and what might they be i think for next year i think you know with 2023 obviously we transitioned to um terp script which is cool because it, it pays homage to to the past and the history of our football program and i think it's been really well received um i think from our fan base i know it's been really well received from within the building i think our players Love it a great deal. The recruits that come through here and we dress out on recruiting visits, they love uh, the Terp script. I know there is a there is this, uh, a decent amount of people that still love uh, the Maryland Pride uniform because it was so unique. 
as far as like the hand painted helmet with our with our state flag on it. Um, I, I'm caught in the middle. I, I like I love the pride uniform because it, it it is what I was used to and accustomed to when I got here. Um, but um, I think the the Terp script is is pretty historical around here, and I think it's something that's going to be here to stay. Like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if you know, we're going to wear all white this week, and so we're, we haven't worn a white helmet yet this year, and we haven't worn a white um, Terp script helmet yet. So we will wear that um, this Saturday when we play the Nebraska Cornhouse, because I got one here if you can see it. Our guys are excited about wearing it, and we're going to be white from head to toe, our cleats, our pants, our jersey, and our helmet. So it's, it's a look that we haven't worn in a long time. Our guys are excited about wearing the uh, icy white. Any new ones next year? Are we sticking I don't think so. I think, I, think for, I, think for, I think for 24, I think we're going to stay, stay the course for 24. Uh, the great thing about working with Under Armour is there's they're so incredibly innovative uh, with their presentation. They got they they really get excited about collaborate collaborating with the University of Maryland and uh, presenting some new styles and new concepts to us. So I think that's something that um, is probably discussed, but I think it's discussed between you know the, the those designers at Under Armour and then our athletic department and. Um, but I think for right now, I think it's, I think we're going to stay the course. It's what we have for the 2024 season. So if you're ordering the jerseys for next season now, how early did you know that the script was coming back and did you have to kind of keep that as a secret? That's a good point. I, the funny thing is I play, I placed my order last year and I turned it in right around Halloween or, or right around this time last year. And I found out that we were going to go to the Terp script about a week after I placed my order. So it was, a, it presented a little bit of a challenge uh, to go back in and modify your game uniform orders uh, to like accommodate for each one of the colors with the, with the white, the red, the black, and the gold. Um, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was exciting for the transition. It was exciting to be a part of it. And um, yeah, it takes, it's just, it's just, it takes a while to to formulate those things to determine from a roster standpoint which players are going to be here and which players aren't which players are on their last year of eligibility uh which players maybe have an extra year because of injury and you have to take all those things into account when you're punishing your for uniforms because like this year i think we had 45 new players on our roster that weren't part of our roster in 2022 which is crazy but i think that's just a sign of the times with college football with, with the transfer portal and NIL and that sort of thing. Like, I don't think you're going to have that consistency where kids come to your school and they're there for three, four or five years. I think it's going to be a rotating door, which is, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but. So before we ha wrap up, I have to ask just one last thing. Um, talk about kind of your role in the Duke's mail bowl and making sure Loxie didn't get too dirty there. Yeah. Hey, hey we just, we talked about it beforehand. Uh, you know, it was one of those situations where he just wanted me to make sure that I had a, a quick change of clothing for him. And uh, we went out to, we walked towards midfield and we, he knew he was going to get dunked with the Duke's mail. Uh, one of the things that was great is that um, Noggin Boss, who's been, a, who's been a great friend of our program, they sent Coach Locks some of those oversized baseball caps with the Maryland logo on it. And um, 
we had that and it was it was great coach came up with the idea of wearing that on his head so when they dumped the duke's mayo bowl i mean duke's mayo mayonnaise on his head that uh he wouldn't get it all over himself but they dumped so much mayonnaise it was all over the place in fact there was a couple things that um that mayonnaise just doesn't come out of i mean it's just one of those things that you try your very best and doesn't come out of but um it was pretty cool it was it was it was great it was fun to be a part of uh they were a great host city and host committee for us, but uh, winning down there in Charlotte and beating NC State was great. Anytime you win, it just it brings so much excitement and happiness to the team. Um, one thing that, that I've learned through the years of working in equipment is that you spend so much time with these guys, the coaches and the players and everybody else, that you become so vested in it that the wins feel so great but the losses hurt just as much the other way. So it's it's hard. It changes it changes the atmosphere in the building. Like the week after a win in the building, everybody's happy and everybody says hello and asks you how you're doing. And the week after a loss, it's like, it's quiet. But Coach Loxley does an amazing job of writing the ship. It's 24 hours. Whether you win or lose, you have to turn the page and, and focus on the next opponent and put all that stuff behind you, whether it was the elation of a great win or, or the... Um, the sadness of a, of a loss. So he does a great job with that. But like I said, you know, working here and being part of the Maryland football family, it's it's, uh, it's great to be back. I'm, I'm very fortunate that, you know, this has given me an opportunity to come home. Uh, I've had two daughters that have graduated from here with uh, nursing degrees. They both work in Georgetown right now as nurses. One is a NICU nurse and one is an organ transplant nurse. And I've got another daughter here um, that's currently a junior. So Maryland is home for us and, and we all love it here and I wouldn't trade it for the world. I don't think I would so, take another job to be completely honest. Oh, maybe one job. Maybe to be the New York Yankees equivalent manager, but I don't think that's coming up anytime soon. Um well thanks again. We we do a quick rapid fire segment with all of our guests. So I'm gonna take you through that and then we can get up out of here. So you ready to go? Sure. Are you a laundry guy person at home or are you done with it after the day's work? I am not a laundry person at home. In fact, I usually bring my laundry to work and do it myself because my stuff turns up missing at home. Like I can't, I can't tell you how many times my, I don't know what happens. It just goes and it disappears. I don't know where happens. the deal are. Are you a superstitious guy? So if Maryland wins with certain jerseys, are you like, Hey guys, like we got to wear this one this week. Or is that not something you think? Uh, you know, I, I wish I was, but with, with the way the college, I am superstitious, no doubt about it. But with the thing, the way things are set up within college football, the home team has the right to determine what uniform they're going to wear. So um, if we go on the road, we're pretty much always in our whites. Um, mm. At home, obviously, we have some specialty games where Coach and, and Damon and Colleen get together to determine what jerseys we're going to wear, whether it's our black black uniform or our gold uniform. But um, I am superstitious. So I try to do the same routine every week as far as how I lay out the coach's apparel and, and, and clothing, you know, the stuff that I put on Coach Loxley's desk, whether it's home and away. Um, I'm superstitious. I do it all at the same time. I do it, uh, yeah, it's, there. there is superstition in everything that I do as far as game day goes. What's the toughest thing to get out of a jersey when doing laundry? Uh, two things. Uh, sometimes teams paint their fields, uh, like their logo. That's really hard to get out. And funny thing, the really the most difficult thing to get out, uh, there's two. Gatorade, like the fruit punch Gatorade, is really hard to get out. Um, and the other thing, surprisingly, is ryegrass. 
most teams play on like a Bermuda type surface, but when we go to the fall, a lot of teams overseed their field with ryegrass because it, it, it'll germinate during the fall uh, temperature change as the Bermuda grass will die out. And because of that, ryegrass stains are an absolute pain in the butt to get out. It's a challenge that we face every single week, but um, that's why the equipment guy's best friend is like the red pants or the black pants because he don't have to worry about that stuff. But the white pants are a challenge for sure. And as are the white jerseys. How much of it is a uh, is a struggle with these recruit photo shoots? Do you have to work extra time to get them in the right jerseys and all that stuff? Uh, it, we do it because, listen, I, I, we know we all know in this building, and I think everybody across college football knows that recruiting is the lifeblood of your program. But without those guys coming through the door, you know, it, it directly correlates the amount of success that you're going to have uh, in the fall. Um, it does sometimes present a challenge, um, but our recruiting staff does an amazing job of setting it up in a way that you're not overwhelmed on a certain day. And sometimes you'll have six or eight recruits come through on a certain day and they'll push the rest of the recruits to the following weekend. I think the NCAA right now has, um, they've put it up to vote where the only people that will be allowed to dress out for photos and stuff will be actually official visits. So if you're not an official, if you're not here on an official visit, you won't be able to dress out. So, you know, when the equipment guys heard that, I think we all smiled in entirety. <laughs> so, uh, but we understand that, like I said, it's a lifeblood of our program. The kids get a real good, big kick out of it. You know, plenty of Instagram shots to take and, uh, right. but it's cool. And we, what we do yeah. is as an equipment step, we put every single uniform combination out there and, and give them as much stuff, like from an accessory standpoint, like wristbands and gloves and headbands and all that other stuff to allow them to swag out a little bit. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate your time. Um, good luck the rest of the way, and thanks for hopping on another show. All right, guys. Go Turks. We saw Drew show us the white helmets. We got a little sneak peek at those early on, and they look great on Saturday. Can't say the same about the game, though. Um, Maryland obviously won, and in walk-off fashion, um, Jack Howe's making the game-winning field goal, but uh, I can't really say that that was a very exciting or, or fun game to watch. It was great for Sicko's committee on Twitter, though. Eight combined turnovers between the two teams. Uh, guys, I, it felt like both teams wanted to lose, to be honest, but Maryland walked away with a win and, and secured bowl eligibility, so obviously people in College Park happy about that, but I don't know. What did what were your takeaways from the from the win? It's the same issues that we've been seeing throughout the whole year. I mean, the, they're undisciplined when it comes to penalties. They had 10 for 92 yards in turnovers. Turnovers have been an issue for them. They did make up for it, like you said, by forcing five. And then the run game, it's been on and off throughout the whole year. For, I would say, one half, you could even say three quarters against Nebraska. The run game was non-existent, but they did make up for it in that second half. 70 yards coming, about 70 yards in the fourth quarter. But second half, they had 19 attempts for 101 yards. And you got to hope, if you're on the team, if you're a fan, that they keep up that run game going forward. I would say, absolutely. If if Maryland's run game looks like it's looked in the past four weeks, you know, they're going to have a lot more. If they're going to win any more games, the, the games are going to be 13 to 10. I mean, you know, Locks, they said at the beginning of the year, he wanted to compete for Big Ten championships. And Winning games 13 to 10, that is Big Ten football, but I don't think that's really the way he imagined it when he said that. Um, 
Other thing I will say is the all white uniforms and helmets and, and whatever are they're one and oh. So I mean, I don't know, but team did well enough somehow to earn Fox big noon kickoff. So I don't know. That was pretty wild. I was not expecting that. I'll say this about the uniforms. I was going into Gold Rush game very high on them. Watching them from the stands, the Gold Rush uniforms look terrible. I will take the white uniforms 10 out of 10 times over the gold uniforms. Yeah, I think that the white, like all white just looks crispy. And I think that the helmets did, did a lot of work with those unis. But you guys talked about it. And I think it's so true. The run game and Brendan really talked about a Big Ten football. You know, this week, obviously, as we kind of move forward, Michigan <coughs> coming to town, talk about a run game. They didn't attempt a forward pass in the second half that was a completion. Um, 27 straight runs against Penn State, who had the number one ranked rush defense heading into Saturday. Very impressive win. Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards did their thing. But I want to talk a little bit <laughs> about historical context in the Big Ten and when upsets do happen. So I have some stats here for us. When an upsetting team, so a top 10 team in the Big Ten over the past three full seasons, when that top 10 team has lost to a like an underdog, how many rushing yards do you think the winning team is averaging compared to the, the, the top dog in, in the Big Ten who loses the top 10 team? What do you guys think? I would say going into that game, um, you're asking for... How oh, in, that in the game. Okay. In that game, I'd say they probably averaged about 190 rushing yards. Bingo. 192 for the upsetting team. Mike, wow. I had no idea. Mike, what do, you think, <laughs> what do you think the underdog, or the not the underdog, the, the team who, the top 10 team, what do you think they're averaging in that game? Um, it's got to be under 50, no? No. 105. So. I mean, if you're looking at top ten teams, there's still that's still a dang a seventy-five plus yard difference in the run game between those two. I mean, you look at games like Oregon beating Ohio State two hundred sixty-nine to one eighty-two. You know, you have uh, Illinois beating Wisconsin, who was top ranked at the time, one hundred forty-one to one hundred thirty-six. You know, you have <laughs> Michigan State beating Michigan that Kenneth Walker game one hundred ninety-nine to one hundred forty-six. Now flip it around to College Park, we all tie it back. To Maryland sports in Maryland's game against top 10 big 10 teams how many rushing yards do you think that the Terps are averaging per game this one has got to be under 50. Is this all is this all time in the big 10 no no this no, year sorry. the past the past uh four years including this year four full seasons not 2020 against ranked teams yep top 10 ranked teams uh they're averaging 12 yards rushing 80.91 but that's all the that's the that's like the big dogs in the big 10 so yeah yeah the the winning team though the ups the the top 10 team is averaging 192 so that's over a hundred yard difference in games that maryland plays a top 10 team when we just talked about when upsets do happen it's like flipping around the upsetting team is averaging nearly 100 yards more than the losers so i think that when we talk about this saturday <laughs> it's a huge test right Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, that O-line. Michigan's defensive line is one of the best in the country. But I think if Maryland has any chance, any chance of winning, they're going to need some explosive run plays from Talia, from Hemby, and then they're going to just have to pray at that Michigan's run game is off or have their best rushing defense effort of the season. And I don't know. I think that that's where the game starts and ends, not even just through the air. It has to start on the ground for the Terps. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the stats say it best. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask you, Sam, is before you were covering Maryland football, you um, you know had kept a pretty close eye on Michigan football, and so you know, give us a little bit of context for um, how this you think the Michigan team is going to feel going into the rest of the season without their head coach on the sidelines. Yeah, um, I think it'll be interesting because this Friday, I think I believe that there's a hearing scheduled for Harbaugh to potentially be reinstated, but. I'm going to be honest, out of all my years, and, and Brennan's right, I grew up in Michigan, so I followed the team you know, pretty closely. Out of all my years, A, I've never seen a better Michigan football team, and B, I've never seen one tune out distractions as well. I mean, all the ingredients for them to lose on Saturday were there, right? Penn State's at home, you know, big, second biggest crowd in their school history. Michigan's coach is suspended on the plane <laughs> into Happy Valley. Their passing game is anemic, not doing anything. And what do they do? They just rip off a dominating win against Penn State. I think that it honestly, and this might sound crazy, in some ways I think it might help Michigan that he's suspended because I think it gives them an extra level of, like, they can play the underdog mentality, the bill, like, oh, everyone's against Michigan, that type of thing. And I think that honestly gives them a little bit of juice, but they don't really need it, to, to be honest with you. Like, they're so good. They have depth at every position. I mean, When's the last time Maryland had an offensive lineman drafted in the top five rounds, right? Michigan is going to have seven offensive linemen, the athletic says, picked in the NFL at some point. Maryland, if you took any of Michigan's top seven offensive linemen, they would probably start on Maryland at any spot, which is crazy to say, but I think that that just shows how deep Michigan is. So it's really going to take just Maryland's going to have to play their best game of the season and Michigan's going to have to play a C minus or worse effort for the Terps to pull off the upset. I know, Mike, you're a little more optimistic about their chances, but I think that it, <clears throat> when you look at it in totality, Michigan is just such a better team. Yeah, well, if they thought hot, Happy Valley was bad, just wait until they walk into the hostile CQ Stadium where half the fans are Michigan fans. Um, <laughs> I mean, if we're all being honest, they have no shot to beat Michigan. However, looking on the optimistic side, just, you know, season as a whole it's the third straight year for them going bowling it's the first time since 2006 2008 that they've done that so there are some positives with positives with the win over nebraska i will rebuttal and say maryland has won six games but one was against the fcs team so it it just is we we keep going around and around with this argument and i think it just speaks to like the the continuation of every maryland season feeling the same and I think that that at a certain point that has to end. You have to change something to where maybe you lose one to a bad team, but upset another team. You know, something like even last year felt like I think for the fans felt good because it was like okay, we competed against Michigan, we competed against Ohio State. <laughs> it's like this year it hasn't been close, and I really don't think it's going to be close on Saturday. Um, so I just think- I can I can understand where you guys are coming from, but I also. F- was growing up watching Maryland football in that continuous stage where I would go to the games to watch Stephon Diggs. He would play good. Maryland might lose, but I was able to watch a really cool player who would get drafted, you know? So that was kind of, you know, that's like how the seasons were going when I was growing up. So seeing them now, it's like, yeah, Maryland's not at that tier yet where they're a Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. But at the same time, it feels like Maryland and Coach Loxley, they've been building up this program to a point where they're consistently making it to bowl games. 
We'll see if they win a third straight this year. But this is way better than the program had been in over a decade. Definitely. I think that we can all agree that they've taken big steps. It's just now I think you have to take another step because if you just stay flatlined, you're not paying Loxley to do that, right? Are we, we can all agree on that. Before we head into other sports, the last thing, I think, let's predict how many points Maryland will score. Michigan's defense has obviously been incredible. The most points they've allowed all year is 15, and that was against Penn State. So any prediction on how many points Maryland will score? 14. They get a garbage-time touchdown. They'll get three. I was going to say, I think I'll go in the middle. I'll go with 10. I think we. I, I think I can. I cannot see watching the turnovers on Saturday. I cannot see how Talia and them are able to consistently move the ball against Michigan's defense. Like that just seems like one of the biggest challenges they'll face this year. Yeah, it'll be a tough task for Michigan, but um, you know, it, it'll be an f- interesting game to watch for sure. And we sound, you know, kind of down on Maryland football, who won. Imagine how down we're going to sound about the rest of the Terp sports because, wow, what a brutal weekend of Maryland athletics. Guys, we can start with basketball, men's and women's side. Women have a little bit more of an excuse. We can start there, I think. Mike, a dominating defeat at the hands of South Carolina, who I'm not going to lie, through two games, looked like a top five team. Maybe not four, not five, not three, not two level of level of uh, title contenders. What did you see in the in the Terps' loss to the Gamecocks? Yeah, they lost some players to the draft, but it does not look like that if you watched a game the other day. Uh, Maryland, self-inflicted errors, you could say was the story of the game for them. South Carolina, they absolutely killed them on the offensive glass. They had 28 second-chance points. South Carolina also had 20 more rebounds than Maryland in that game. And then Maryland also had 15 turnovers. They lost a turnover battle. And then South Carolina scored 23 points off of those turnovers. Now, I know that there's another issue that was very prevalent in the loss Sunday, if you want to talk about the lack of depth. Um, It just seemed like South Carolina was able to consistently just bring new players in, bring bring players out, and no matter what, they were still getting the same production. Yeah, seven players in double figures. I mean, nearly had nine or ten free set after the game she's never seen a team do that. I mean, <clears throat> I think you talked about it. Self-inflicted wounds um, were definitely a problem. But I think the biggest thing, and sometimes I think basketball is as simple as this, the other team is just really friggin' good. Like, you go into that game trying to stop Camila Cardoso, right, who's 6'7", dominant player, SEC, you know, preseason, all player, uh, first team, all player, that type of thing, you know, has a huge height advantage over anybody on Maryland's roster, save Hawa Dumboya, who played a little bit, but isn't ready for, you know, big-time college basketball. So you devote all your resources to stopping her, and they did that. Four points in the first half, right? That's like, I was stunned when I saw that stat line. But you look up, and South Carolina has made 12 threes by the end of the year, or end of the game, and shoots 50%. Sometimes it's like how Brenda said. Pick your poison, right? They devoted resources inside. They played that zone defense where it just kind of sucked in on the paint. And then and then South Carolina just sprayed it from deep. And at that point, you have to switch it up. You have to go to man-to-man. So what did they do then? They got killed on the offensive boards because they don't have the height to compete with South Carolina. So I think it was really just you had to hope that the Gamecocks were going to miss threes. And this year's roster for Don Staley is 
I think, way better suited. They make a bunch of threes. They have a much better shooting and playmaking guards. And then if you turn the ball over against them, you're not going to win. You, you, you're not going to. You have to value the ball. They didn't do that. And that's why they gave up the most points they've ever given up in the Brenda Freeze era. I mean, it, it was pretty crazy. I kind of wanted to touch back on the depth of the team because when I was watching it, I thought it was a little alarming how South Carolina, they had 55 points off the bench. Maryland only had 20. 17 came from Bree McDaniel and Ali Quebec. And so far through two games, other than Emma Chardon had 10 points in the first game, it's really been Quebec and McDaniel who seem like they'll be costing contributor, contributors off the bench, which yeah, is alarming because then you have a seven seven person rotation that's not going to get you through games against Iowa in the Big Ten, you know? I got to see Riley Nelson see the floor soon. Even if she's turning the ball over, you got to have some sort of dynamic player. And if she doesn't play against UConn, I think questions are going to start to be asked about where she's at because all season, they were, or all preseason, they were hyping her up, you know, saying she's going to have this huge impact. One of Brenda's best freshmen she's had, and she's not seeing the floor. Why is that? What's going on? Um, because I think she just brings a level that they don't really have right now. It's it's kind of just shy sellers ball handling, and that's about it. They need another playmaker, and if she's not there, they they could be in some trouble. Yeah, it is. It's been really weird how she hasn't played because she had a really strong showing in that first exhibition game. She scored over twenty points, and that I mean, coming out of that game, I felt as if she was going to be a massive. Um, roll off the bench or then possibly move into the starting lineup as the season went on. But really, her contributions have been non-existent through two games. Yeah, I think, though, to be to be fair to Riley, Reed McDaniel didn't play much at the beginning of last year at all. Then she was getting valuable minutes by the end of the year. So I could see it, her picking up. But they obviously have a huge one on Thursday against Connecticut. Um, Azizi Fudge and Paige Beckers, you know, they also they have – more stuff beyond that. I mean, Naomi, I always forget her last name, but, um, you know, three WNBA picks probably on the roster. Um, they're super, super good. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. Mike, Brendan, what do you guys think? Do you see any way they can pull out off set? Seeing what we just saw against South Carolina, I think that tells you that Maryland's not ready to play at that level of competition yet. But I think going into Connecticut and, you know, playing other close game and playing some of the best competition in the country is going to make this team significantly better when it comes time to play, you know, Big Ten tournament games and NCAA tournament games. I don't think these are negatives, really. I mean, it would have been nice for Maryland fans to see, you know, South Carolina, the South Carolina game would be a bit closer. But like you said, Sam, I mean, this is one of the top five teams in the country. So it's not all negative. I, I got to agree with Brendan. I got to view this as a growing game for the team. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult to beat UConn and UConn with UConn coming off as an of off of the upset loss to NC State. Um so they have extra motivation to win as well and just playing in front of their home crowd which always shows up. It's gonna be very difficult for Maryland. Uh Nika Mule, by the way, and, and then even throwing Aaliyah at works. I mean their team is their team is stacked. I think it's I think it might be like the South Carolina game in which it's close to the first quarter and Maryland kinda hangs around, but then they just kinda take over. I wouldn't expect that many points to be allowed though. UConn doesn't really do that. They don't have that type of domination, I think. I think it's probably more in like the 90s to a 70 type of loss, if I had to guess. But obviously, two super tough opponents, so Maryland fans shouldn't be that alarmed. 
I think you can't really say the same for the men's side, though. Um, Brendan, really just two weird, disappointing, bad losses to Davidson and UAB. Take us through the Terps weekend in Asheville. Yeah, I mean, you can be a little bit uh, upset if, you know, Maryland women's basketball loses to South Carolina. But it's not like, like you said, they lost to Davidson and UAB. Two, uh, two sentences I, I didn't really think I'd, I'd be saying uh, in this episode. And Maryland just didn't really look like themselves, didn't look like the team they were last year. Um, Donta Scott and Jameer Young and Juju Reese really didn't look like what people thought they were going to be going into this season. And, you know, two games that if Maryland plays a couple possessions better, they win. Both one possession losses. So it's, I don't know. Those games are, are really hard to say because if Maryland makes a couple more plays down the stretch, they win those games and we're sitting here and we're like, well, Maryland's 3-0, but, um, you know, they, they played two, you know, scary close games. I mean, they wouldn't have played UAB if they'd won the first game, but um, you understand what I'm saying? Like, just to that point where, you know, there are one possession games, but overall, pretty ugly games by Maryland. The defensive breakdowns against Davidson were unacceptable. Dante Scott had a couple plays where I, the game-winning three in particular, he's sitting in the paint, pointing at the shooter on the outside when they're in man-to-man defense. And I don't know their health principles, but I do know like rel- some stuff about basketball. And I don't think in a tie game with the game on the line, you're that far deep in the paint on a driver when you have a shooter on in the corner. You can't be that two feet inside the charge area. Um just not not good enough. Scott wasn't very good for the first two games. He's got to pick it up. The defensive breakdowns, I get it. It's early in the year, but it was just it showed up way too many times. And then the turnovers in the UAB game, they made they let um, the kid from LSU Gaines. They had it was his personal highlight show a couple times. He got a couple breakaway dunks where it was just it was wild. I thought Jameer played much better in the second game than he did the first. Um, you know, really kind of I think brought them back in it. Uh, in in that in that UAB game, but I agree, Brendan. I mean, you really gotta hope that they that they find a way here in in, in these next couple of games, um, because you know it's not gonna get the job done if if the way they're playing right now. Um, and I know the starting lineup has been a big question. I think that they really are searching for production at that three spot, Mike. It's been Noah Bachelor. I think it's got to start. The question's got to start about if Jamie Kaiser should be in that lineup because he's looked pretty good, I think, through these first two games. At least a threat to shoot it from beyond the arc. Yeah, they're clearly unsure of who's going to be that fifth starter right now. They have the four spots pretty locked up at this point. DHS, Jameer, Danta, Juju. But they started the first two games with Jordan Geronimo. They clearly that didn't work out. They switched to Noah Bachelor for the UAB game. That didn't seem to work out against UAB. He was practically just running cardio out there. The only stat he had was one rebound. He had the game. And I think it's pretty telling that three point shooting is part of the reason for that switch because they had Noah Bachelor take the last shot against Davidson. Um trusted him to take that shot out of anybody else on the team three-point shooting-wise. They're shooting 22.6% this year, which is second worst in the Big Ten. But also, Bachelor himself is shooting 18% on the year, and that's the guy you have taking the three to tie the game. Yeah, That's that's not great. And three-pointers are really the only thing he has done so far this season. Um, 
those are the only shots, literally speaking, that he's taken. And the only time he's gone to the foul line was when he got fouled on a three-point attempt. He's got um, to be, be more of a threat from beyond the arc. And I think that's why Kaiser could easily slot into that spot. You know, at least he's making shots, you know, um, and giving you that sort of threat from the outside. Brendan, do you think that that's a switch they make sooner rather than later here? It's be, it'd be a tough time for a freshman to make their first start on Friday at Villanova, but um, I think it's getting to that point where you kind of have to start thinking about it. I would actually expect to see Jordan Geronimo start against Villanova. Um, I don't think that he's looked incredible in the first couple of games, but he has played a lot more minutes than um, anybody else coming off the bench. And so I do think they'll go with him, but I do think you'll see Jamie Kaiser start games as the season goes on. Um, it just depends when that switch happens. I mean, I think clearly his upside is much better than Bachelor and, and Geronimo. I think most people can see that. So I think it's just a matter of time till he becomes the starter. But I think uh, as we talked about the Villanova game, I, I don't think Geronimo will start. Um, do you guys want to guess? So Villanova played a game tonight, Monday night against Penn, the Ivy League school. Would anybody like to guess the final score of that game? And then also guess how many minutes Akeem Hart played, who was obviously on Maryland last year. I'm going to, I, yeah, I haven't, I didn't pay attention to any results tonight. Penn usually, I feel like, plays slow style. I'm going to go 63 to 60. And okay, Akeem, I'm going to play 17 minutes. Okay. I know he's been a six man. I would have said Villanova won by 10, like 75 to 65. Akeem played 20 minutes. What actually so- happened, though? Villanova 72, Penn 76. So Villanova lost. So this huge matchup early in the season, Hakeem Hart, you know, rematch game, whatever you want to call it, against Maryland. Uh, he played nine minutes. Um, Crazy. Bunch of question marks here. You know, you have two teams that you probably figured were going to be undefeated going into this game, and now it's still a big game, and both teams really, really now need this yeah. win. But Yeah, you really need it for if you're Maryland. And I, like you said, you need it if you're Villanova B, but um, I think that this game, Maryland, if they win it, I think you're back kind of where you're at because you probably expected a loss to Villanova and wins in those spots. But I don't think you can – I mean, you can, but starting one and three is a pretty pretty bad, bad way to, to get the year kicked off. I mean, Hakeem Hart didn't take a shot tonight. The Hakeem Hart revenge game is, is <laughs> no longer in play. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, he might not be doing well at Villanova, but I underestimated the impact that his loss would have on Thank this you. team. Thank um, you. And I would have thought, because three-point shooting was a problem itself last year for the Terps, they shot 33%, which isn't good. So I know Willard has said multiple times he wanted to increase physicality and how tough they were over the offseason. Obviously, they brought in Jordan Geronimo for that. But he made no effort to improve the three-point shooting, it seems, transfer-wise either. So I don't – he loses I would say yes and no. Yes and no. Chance Stevens is injured. Chance Stevens is, is injured in probably a, the whole year. And he was, you know, called himself the sniper from three-point range. So I think he did try to bring in someone but just got injured. So Chance Stevens was never, like, in that mix to start. Like, Chance Stevens – if you're relying on Chance Stevens, who is what, a Loyola – Maramount, I think, is where he's where he was from. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you're relying on him to be the difference in your season, that's not great. Um, but I also think, to be fair, we're kind of like it's three games in, and I think Dante will start to shoot better. 
Jameer is going to shoot it better. I would guess that that fifth starter eventually, either Bachelor, Kaiser, or maybe somebody else, kind of adds some spacing. DHS, I don't think is going to... I told you, I said, DHS, the shot, I'm just a little worried about it. He's got to get it figured out. And freshmen don't generally shoot amazing, so I'm uh, that'd be the spot I'd be the most worried about because he's a great... He's been good, but if he's not going to space the floor and Jameer's not an amazing shooter... That's two spots in the backcourt that aren't really a threat from beyond the arc um, as much as you'd like to. So, yeah, I mean, I I think some of my predictions from earlier in the season, I would still stand with them. I still think this Maryland team is 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 good. I think this is a good Maryland basketball team. However, it was just not the start that anybody expected. So um, I think they'll make that transition. I think they'll probably still finish in the top four of the Big Ten. But Yeah, still they got to get it around quick. Um, but the season is young for the Turb basketball squad. Season is over for the Terp Field Hockey team. Uh, their run ended quick. First time they did not make the Final Four since 2020. Brendan lost to the Cavaliers, who just continue to have their number. It feels like, you know, tough game at the Plex. Uh, what happened for Missy Mahar's team? Yeah, uh, shutout loss against Virginia. Maryland came in pretty strong going into that game, had a, a win over Old Dominion. Um, you know, I, I hosted the show talking all about field hockey like the week before. Personally, I, I thought, you know, this, this Maryland team could get back to the final four. I, I didn't think Virginia was going to stop in their way, but, um, you know, we'll really just have to, to see what they can do to, to rebuild. Mike, um, I know you have thoughts on this. You covered the team last year. You know the roster pretty well. What were your thoughts on uh, with the game? I'll touch on the roster in a sec, but they got off to that slow start that I feel like we've mentioned a couple times in the past on the pod. I mean, they were outshot 16-6, to 11-1 with shots on goal. They were absolutely dominated by the Virginia offense that scored a goal in each single quarter while it seemed like Maryland's offense could get nothing going. So it was the same issues that kept coming up during the season and some of those losses. But looking forward to next season with the roster they have, they have a lot of pieces coming back. They have Hope Rose coming back for her senior season. Um, they have Alyssa Clavasco, who started in goal as a freshman. She'll be back as a sophomore, have experience under her belt. Erica Morris-Adams, she'll be back for a junior. Hannah Boss, she's going to be a junior. Jesse Holloman will be back. Macy Bradford will be back. So they have some pieces that will be back, but obviously this is not the finish to the season that Missy Maharg or her team would have wanted or expected. Yeah, I think that, you know, Mahar's team obviously, you know, outperformed expectations, I think, at the beginning. But as the season went on, you just shut out loss like that. And it wasn't really like they had a bunch of, you know, open chances. They just failed to to convert, it felt like. There was never really an offensive push. Virginia just kind of, from start to finish, dominated. Um, but bright future ahead for her team. So um, they'll be back. I think you just got to find a way to get over the – get over the top here, um, make it back to the natty, because uh, that's where they expect to be every year at this point. So moving away from field hockey, their season's obviously over. One of the only fall sports to still be going is volleyball. Since we last talked about them, they're one in three uh, losses against Michigan State, Michigan, and Wisconsin did not win a set in those games. And then back at home, Maryland beat Ohio State 3 nothing. NCAA tournament is, is pretty much not a possibility at this point. But two weeks left, Maryland needs to go 4 0 to a 500 record in the Big Ted. And to do this, they'd have to get two ranked wins. 
I think if Maryland can go two and two and finish the season, you know, two games under 500, um, that that'd be the best they can do at this point. But uh, I think let's wait till the the season's over and I I can give them a much bigger picture look at um, going forward and stuff like that. But they had four games left, and you know, not going to count them out of any of them. But it would be very tough for them to finish four and zero and even finish three and one. Yeah, I think that this volleyball team, you know, they've done they've done enough to to feel comfortable, but um, you know this. This was kind of a interesting year for them. Um, I think once the season's wrapped up, we can kind of look more at where they finished. But two and two, I think, would be a, a positive way to f- go out um, on the twenty three campaign, um, which has been up and down for Adam Hughes' squad, but mostly a pretty solid season. I think we would agree for for him, um, kind of getting back to maybe what they expected last year. The goal for next year, though, has to be postseason push, like. There is no question about it. Am I am I wrong? I don't think so. I think postseason appearance is kind of where they should be aimed at. Especially they got some talent coming back. I think Sire's back. Um, you know, a lot of their young players will be back. Um, I think they need to dip into the portal a little more. Is kind of is kind of my thoughts. Go free agent hunting a little bit. Yeah, I I agree with all that stuff. But the transfer portal will be big. Um, it'll be interesting to see who. Lee, the new comes back from this team. Um, so we'll have to see. But the picks for you and me the last two weeks have been pretty much atrocious, and Sam is completely running away with it. So give atrocious, us the numbers. Atrocious, my picks, I've had back-to-back two in one week. So you can't project onto me as well. But if we're going into the standings, we got Sam at the top still. Uh, he finished last place last year, by the way. So a little bit of a of a redemption okay, year okay, for Sam. Fair, I said it's a redemption year. Redemption oh, year. no, no, because last year's finish was – I was like a game under 500 and was like two games back. I'm blowing you two out of the water this year. It's not even close. So don't bring that garbage. You said don't project on from Brendan. Don't project with that crap onto me. I am. I a- called that a re- it's a re- it's a redemption year for oh, Sam. No, 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 it's just it's a dominating year is what it's been. Give us give us the standings and let the numbers talk, pal. Uh, so at the top we got Sam redeeming last year at 19 and 14. That. I keep talking about this freaking push that Brendan has. This push is literally the MVP of Brendan's season. Brendan is ahead of me 14, 18, and 1, while I am 14 and 19. So you're lucky that push has you ahead of me this week, pal. But wait for a pod next week because there's going to be no more of this funny business with the push. Hi, Mike. You're pretty fired up. Get us started here. No, I'll also say that we got four weeks of regular season college football. And then last year we picked six bowl games for the final week or weeks. Anything uh, can happen. Exactly. My path to going back to back is still wide open. So All right, Mike, you've been you've been a lot of talk. Let's get it going. You start us out here. All right, let's go. At number one, we got Colorado plus four and a half at Washington State. This is a bounce back game for Coach Prime and the boys in Boulder. Next, we got Northwestern favored by one point versus Purdue. Northwestern is just a better team, and it's at home. Northwestern, one point. Oh. Northwestern is five and five this year. Okay. And then last we got East Carol East Carolina Navy under thirty three and a half. It just has the feels of an under game. ECU <laughs> has hit the under seven out of ten times this season, while Navy's hit it six out of nine times. However, knowing my luck this season, they're gonna score like seventy points combined. <laughs> I'm I, I'm feeling a zero and three this week from Big Mike Brendan. I don't, I don't like any of those picks. Um, I'll go next. These are the ones you should listen to. 
I'll just stick- fade me then. If you if you really feel that way, just fade every single tweet- one of my picks. I tweeted it yes last week, and I'll tweet it again. Uh, started it off with me. I'm staying in College Park for Game One. Michigan minus twenty against the Terps. Um, I think they're they're just on a steamrolling path, and I think Maryland's just a speed bump um, on the way. Uh, my second game, I'm gonna have NC State plus three and a half. Uh, they're taking on Virginia Tech. Vatek, not very good. NC State, former Terps Bowl opponent. I don't know why. I just like that line, like the Wolfpack in that one. And then lastly, but not least, I'm dicking back into MAC action, baby. Going back to my roots, um, you know, from the Midwest, I'm going Ohio Bobcats, minus eight and a half against Central Michigan. Um, you know, Ohio's actually a solid team. Uh, they rank 22nd in passing success rate, according to action. Um, so I'm riding with the Bobcats on that one. I am strongly considering fading Mike right now, taking every pick he took and just flipping it. But I'm not going to do that because that would make him mad. And he's probably going to get at least one right. So statistically, it's a bad choice. So I'm going to take my own picks that I already wrote down. Like, it'd be a little dishonest. He would still go two on one if I got one right. So I I don't know. Okay. Uh, All right. Maybe I'll fade one of them. We'll see. Uh, First pick, Penn State minus 20 and a half against Rutgers. Penn State bouncing back against that Michigan loss. I think they're going to absolutely... Blow them out. I also think the Rutgers offense has been that good this year. Iowa, who played Rutgers uh, last weekend, is now playing Illinois. I think Iowa will score at least four points. And I, you know, knowing the way Iowa's defense has played, I don't know if Illinois will score. So I'll take Iowa minus three and a half, and two then six. take, and then yeah, two say dude, I like that. And then I'll take Duke minus three and a half against UVA. Duke has looked incredible. They had a really strong start from season, but um, I would just like. I think that Duke will win that game by more than four points. So that's actually four a really points. good line because the uh, the Duke North Carolina game was actually one of the best over the weekend I watched. Mm-hmm. Good game. Did Riley Leonard play or no? Was he? Was he nope. There? He was. He's hurt. Is he done for the year? I believe so. Damn. Which 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 is not fun because I think everybody enjoyed watching Duke and their run that they had to start. Yeah, it was cool to see a basketball school become a football school. Um, love for love for that to happen in Maryland one of these years, but you know, I guess we're students here aren't bound for that. Um, instead of good football action, we get good terrific terps. So you, everyone can look forward to that every week. At least that's consistent. Brendan, what do you got for us? What if I told you guys the University of Maryland golf course record was once held by someone who didn't play professional or collegiate golf? In fact, that person was a boxer and a track star in college. Frank Cronin, who graduated from the University of Maryland in 1939, was a star in every event he tried. Cronin was built on pure athleticism, which led him to five championships in the quarter mile and one in pole vault. Cronin almost never lost as he went undefeated in boxing at the two, at the 155 pound level. In addition, he was undefeated in track dual meet. So I, I know what you're thinking. How did Cronin have the golf course record? What is track and boxing have to do with it well that's because he was the umd golf coach and he didn't just coach golf he also coached boxing at maryland as his time as coach he coached three national champions in boxing and eight all-american golfers after graduating from the university of maryland became a boxing coach and then a golf coach but then Croton had to leave he left his jobs at umd to serve in the army during world war ii and when he returned to college park he became the university director of golf and associate professor of physical education. Cronin was a driving force in the opening of the, of the University of Maryland golf course and oversaw a golfing program that helped, helped produce Diane Berman, George Burns, and 
fellow terrific turf, Fred Funk. Oh yeah, in his course record of 64 strokes held for about 20 years. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Cronin. Um, only got out on the UMD course a couple of times. I will not be setting course records though. Like our, our, our you're not gonna, you're not gonna beat Breda, beat Frank's record there. You don't think you can't can't get a 63 in? Sorry. Maybe if Frank caddies me, then we'll have a chance. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that was a another good one, golf related, which I always love. Um, hopefully a better week of sports here coming up for Maryland Athletics. It was a tough one last week, but it was a fun episode of Under the Shell. And you can listen to this and next week's episode and the week after that and the week after that on Under the Shell at Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your pod. Um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and all the places at Under the Shell. Follow all of us on Twitter. You can get your content. And you can take my picks. Go to Testudo Times official Betty and partner, DraftKings. Do not do that. That's like throwing away money. But um, anyway, uh, whatever you whatever you do with the pod information, you do yourself. Um, we hope you have all the good luck in any sort of endeavors you participate in this upcoming week. Um, from the Under the Shell crew, have a good rest of your week, guys. Guess what? You've got Under the Shell podcast. Nobody does it better.